Hello everybody and welcome back to Witch Fix. Uh, today I'm looking at book nine in the Wicker series or the Sweep series, we never did really get a firm answer on that, by Kate Tiernan and this book is called Strife and boy is that indicative of my experience. So I read this book today because it's so short, they're all very short which is kind of a good thing if you're like me and you're just like lying in the sun with a book and you can read in a couple of hours, it's fine. Now the previous book, the eighth one in the series, I forget what it was called, I feel like it was called Changeling, uh, I, I had some issues with, uh, and I had some issues uh, with the one before that as well, and basically with the whole series, but one of my issues um, with the one before Changeling I think, and with Changeling as well, was that it was quite predictable, that I saw a lot of the plot twists, inverted quote marks, coming, and that it wasn't really surprising me, and it was taking a long time for the character to like catch up with where I was. So basically what would happen is through the course of the book I would work out what was going on and then right at the end of the book the main character would finally realise what was going on and there'd be like a showdown and then the book would end and I said we were kind of settling into a pattern but no more because the author has shaken things up with a dramatic new story formula. So now the story begins and then I work out exactly what's going on and then the book continues for another 200 pages and then by the end the main character still doesn't know what's going on leaving me screaming in frustration and throwing my book across the room because I feel like I've just wasted my time because the one good thing about a book where you know what's happening is getting to the end and having it confirmed that you were right. And I have been robbed of that tiny amount of pleasure that I could have derived from reading this book and that has really really irked me and so now we're getting into it. The main plot of this book is around the idea of Morgan being too powerful for her own good which I've said before is super annoying because it feels like everyone in the books just constantly wants to talk down to her and say that she shouldn't be doing magic but at the same time they come running to her for help with everything because oh yeah she's super powerful. And I feel like in her shoes, I would be flipping people off left, right and centre instead of, you know, bowing meekly to their ideas and say, oh, well, use my power however you see fit. But God forbid I use it for myself. The hunt is still on for Morgan's evil uh, birth father. And there's some other stuff popping off as well with Morgan's family life. Uh, basically... It feels like her parents have been kind of absent for the last couple of books, but have now decided to chime back in with, you never come to church with us. Are you not Catholic anymore just because you're a witch? We're going to send you to Catholic school because your grades are slipping because every week you have to save people from an impending disaster and you can't tell us about it. So that's all very Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but with Catholics, I guess. The main plot overarching in the book is that Things are happening around Morgan, um, a, a circle that she's at, books start flying around, electrics start breaking, things are getting like full on poltergeist and they think that it's to do with her. Morgan says that she isn't doing it, but they say, well, I mean, you could be doing it by accident just because you're so powerful, but also untrained and uninitiated, so everything is your fault, you dope. And this happens a number of other times. Uh, the clips at the beginning of each chapter are two different people um so we get the input of someone called sarah curtis who's from the like 1970s and she's talking about her brother sam finding this book of black magic that was written by woodbanes uh, and 
other random stuff that's happening in sort of her timeline. The other voice that we get at the beginning of chapters is a lady called Elise or a girl called Elise, uh, who is one of Morgan's friends or I guess someone who is in one of the covens that she's in. Oh, it's Alyssa, not Elise. I wasn't paying attention. Oh, well. Anywho, uh, Alyssa is writing in her diary about how she really likes Wicker and she's kind of like vibing with it. But she also is a bit scared of Morgan and Morgan's powers. And I assume Alyssa was in previous books, but fucked if I can remember her being around. So I can't be bothered to go back and check, but I'll assume that she was there. Now, the other times that Alyssa is definitely there is when all this weird stuff is happening. And it's very clear, obviously, to the reader reading her sections that her paranoia and her anxiety over Morgan's power, over the dark side of things, builds as these attacks grow in strength. Um, she's always anxious and whenever she runs into Morgan, these things happen. So she runs into Morgan in the corridor. All of Morgan's stuff explodes out of her locker. She comes over to Morgan's house and sees her doing something witchy and stuff breaks and Morgan is levitated up in the air and Morgan sort of believes that it's her doing these things by accident but it's actually very extremely ho-humly mind-buggeringly obvious that it's Alyssa who's doing it and I can't wrap my head around how no one has worked this out like where did they get their lobotomies because I want one now so basically that's all that's going on in the book is Morgan trying to appease her family who are feeling estranged from her and trying to work out, you know, what's going on. Because a lot of the times when Alyssa shows up, it seems like she doesn't like Morgan very much. Morgan's picking up on that, if nothing else. And Alyssa is also ingratiating herself with Morgan's family, meeting them for brunch after church and spending quite a lot of time with Mary Kay, Morgan's sister. Mary Kay, who has chosen book nine to remember stuff that I'm pretty sure happened in book three, uh, to remember like the chaotic battle between Celine, Bell Tower, and Morgan, to start wondering, you know, is this Wicker stuff evil and bad and dangerous? And maybe I should make friends with an uncontrollable telepath instead, because that's much safer. Now, the thing that ties Sarah Curtis's 1970s diary to the present day storyline is the book of big badass evil magic, the name of which that I have forgotten. But basically, it was written by a guy who is a woodbane. You might remember that those are the generic Slytherin type cast of people who were just evil for the fun of it. Um, he wrote the book of black magic. He also used the witch trials in Salem as like a cover to kill witches who were not woodbanes, I guess to steal their powers or to render them down into grease that he could use to twiddle on his evil moustache. So this obviously this book is bad news but it then resurfaces in the hands of a lady who has been sent by the council of goody two-shoes which is to teach morgan about self-defense even though she shouldn't be doing magic how dare she slap on the wrist slap slap from the big old book of evil bad news um they hit upon the idea of doing a spell which basically reflects anyone's evil magic back on them times three it's like the rule of three this is explained in the book uh, but it works like instantly um so they're designed to perform this ritual i don't know why it's in the big book of evil magic but there we go um to try and stop kieran who is morgan's birth father because they think it might also be him telekinetically attacking her which is causing all these like 
poltergeist type things going on and this part of the plot line which appears to be there just to kind of throw doubt on whether it is obviously Alyssa doing all of this is weak source in the extreme because they just sort of mentioned that oh he's powerful and he has seen this witch in France who can do telekinesis it's like yeah but she's in fucking France and then they say in like a throwaway line oh she doesn't have to be near people to do it and I'm like oh okay it's still Alyssa though pretty fucking obvious anyway they do this spell to shut down whatever Kieran's doing and then go in and catch him and at exactly that point Alyssa becomes very very ill very quickly and she gets put in hospital in a coma and at this point still no one realizes what's happening now I was kind of wondering if this was going to go in an interesting direction interesting I mean slightly unpredictable um, because obviously if everyone was focused on this spell being against Kieran they would now think that he was powerless and they would go in and try to arrest him in France or wherever he is um, but obviously he wouldn't be because very clearly the spell has worked on Alyssa so I was anticipating maybe that was where the climactic battle action was going to take place with this sort of failed arrest of Kieran but apparently that arrest goes off without a hitch. Like we're told that he was arrested like off camera by some other characters who we've never met. Um, he is now in custody. And I was wondering, well, how? Because he's meant to be so powerful. And the spell that you did did absolutely bugger all to him because it's working on the 15 year old girl that none of you can catch. So I was really left wondering as to how they had caught him. And that seemed like a massive plot hole to me. But what do I know? I'm just a lowly reader. Um, then having successfully captured Kieran, they go through the steps of reversing that spell so it's no longer in effect, at which point Alyssa instantly gets better and springs out of her bed, coma free and full of telekinetic whoopings. They still don't twig that her miraculous recovery on the night that they do the undoing ritual, that th th those two things are connected in any way. So that's annoying. And then it came to like the last chapter, which is about four pages long. And I was actually starting to get a bit worried. I mean, like, are they going to notice? Is stuff going to happen? That is this going to continue into the next book? Because I really hope it doesn't. And then in the last chapter, Alyssa comes to Morgan's house because obviously she's friend with her annoying kid sister, who at this point I would have just murdered, just saying. Um, and while they're talking, um, I think... Morgan like touches Alyssa or like reaches out to touch her hand and Alyssa jumps and a picture on the wall suddenly like falls down and the glass is split separating Morgan from the rest of her family in a very foreshadowy type way and Morgan still doesn't understand what is happening doesn't even suspect and then she gets a call from Hunter love of her life slash irritating busybody and know-it-all saying he has a lead on his missing parents who we might remember from like five books ago which was the last time anyone gave a shit uh, and so he's going to Quebec um, and she's perfectly safe because Kieran's been arrested so he can just fuck off and go and find his family except obviously she's not perfectly safe because she's in the same room as essentially Carrie but with less motivation backstory or character development and that's where the book ends so that's fun. That whole experience was just incredibly frustrating for me. The, the plot, I could get over it being incredibly predictable. It's just that 
I was kind of used to these being very predictable and me complaining about them being predictable. But to have it be this predictable at this stage in the book, when clearly this is going to go on into the following book, just beggars belief. Because if you were reading that and you didn't know that Alyssa was responsible, then you're an idiot. And okay, maybe you can say it's clearly the author doing it like that. So the reader knows that Morgan is in danger, but Morgan doesn't know. And I can appreciate that to a point. But because it's so blindingly obvious and because it's so it's not just obvious from like the bits that only the reader gets to read, like the diary entries that Alyssa has been writing. It's obvious from actual occurrences that Morgan has witnessed and therefore her character just comes off as thicker than shit because she should know this stuff. And it's just frustrating in that respect. Like if it had just been kept to the pre-chapter diary entries and that's how we had known as the reader that Alyssa was bad news then fine that could have worked um if maybe there hadn't been occasions where Alyssa had used her powers with just her and Morgan there that could have worked because by the end of the book Morgan knows it's not her doing it so there have been two occasions where only one other person was with her and it happened you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes you barely have to be the guy from Blue's Clues whose name I can't remember did he have a name was he just man? I don't care. So I was not in love with that whole side of the book. Another thing that really annoyed me as well is the again recurring thing of oh Morgan is uninitiated, Morgan is untrained, nobody can trust Morgan. Oh god Morgan please solve all our problems for us with your tremendous power. But again don't think that you're important because you're not, you're just a rank amateur and we hate you. Spit spit. Um, This comes to a quite nasty head really because the telekinetic incident thing happens, I think, twice. And then Erin, who is the visiting person who's there to teach Morgan self-defence, basically says, Morgan, you're a danger to yourself and others, and we're going to have to bind your powers. And Morgan agrees to this in the space of like one conversation. She doesn't even say, well, I think we should entertain the possibility that it's not me or say maybe there's like another solution. Maybe we can try other avenues before literally like binding her powers and like her life force to make her incredibly vulnerable and weak so she allows them to do this to her and then like a couple of chapters later it gets undone so there's very little point in it happening but again it just gave this weird like undertone especially to her relationship with hunter which i'm not invested in because i'm not a teenage girl but at the same time it seems really unhealthy that she kind of defers to him as being an authority on everything just because he's older than her a little bit I guess and he's been raised in a Wiccan family and works for the council he gets final say on everything she's like oh if Hunter says that we should buy my powers then that's fine if Hunter says that I should wear his cast off clothing and not go outside and not talk to men then that's fine if Hunter says I have to live in this coal bunker and eat rat intestines that's fine and it's just like, you're being led down a very bad road here. Like, I didn't like Cal when he was her boyfriend because he was obviously such a controlling fucker. And then uh, Hunter came in and I was like, OK, I guess you're better. But really, he's not. And I'm starting to wonder if maybe the, either the author doesn't really know how to characterise these relationships without making them seem really creepy. Or Hunter is genuinely creepy. And at some point we're going to find out why, because... At the moment, it feels like in the first couple of books, there was tremendous pressure on Morgan 
to put her power behind Cal and Selene's cause, to become a woodbane, to further their agenda and be evil. But in the same way, the way that Hunter and everyone talks about her makes it seem like she's this kind of incredible well of untapped power that they just want to condition onto their side. Hunter even at one point says that when she's trained, she'll be an incredible asset. What? It's like he's grooming her for the CIA and not like just to work and live in which culture. Um, it's sort of like the council. I've been picturing it as like the Ministry of Magic from Harry Potter. But the way that Hunter is acting kind of makes me think that it's not some sort of central thing. Like maybe it is actually off to like the far left in the sense that. And in terms of like political alignments, I guess, like you've got the evil woodbanes like Celine far right and then you've got far left the council. But are there centrist witches? Are there people who aren't involved in this war? They just kind of want to live like normal lives, like normal people and who don't start dating people just because they want to woo their magic powers to their evil slash maybe evil cause. There was a pretty heavy amount of drama in this book. I will give it that. It definitely upped it from the previous two books have been quite boring. This had quite a lot going on, due mostly to the return to the kind of high school formula, because we had all the tension from Morgan's parents suddenly being like, if you don't get your grades up, you're going to Catholic school, witch. And her being, well, I'm not even Catholic, so suck on that. That is not a direct quote. She's not that interesting. Um, but then also, obviously, her failing at school. Some of the stuff going on with her friends, which, again, never really came to anything. But the wearing of her relationship with her sister because of, obviously, witchcraft coming between them. That was pretty interesting. That kind of spiced the plot up a little bit. It's still kind of unclear where we stand on that. And maybe if they had a conversation then that would all be resolved but they don't really talk about anything like you know the sister is mad at her because she doesn't let her drive her to school but then when she's apparently feeling less mad she does accept rides from her but they don't really talk during that and it doesn't seem like Morgan's making any effort to explain to her what Wicca actually is or what it is in this weird book universe she just keeps saying like oh well it's it's not evil and dark and dangerous. It's just like part of my soul, part of my spirit. And I've inherited it from my birth mother and it's all just great, man. And it's like, well, that's great. But Mary Kay literally saw like demons attacking you. So maybe you could be just a smidge more convincing. I obviously do realise, and I don't want you to think that I don't, know that these books are for like young adults, teenagers. And the to a certain extent, I am holding them to like, I guess a high standard in terms of I expect them to actually make sense and have good writing but here's the thing if I was a teenager and I read this like if I was me as a teenager and I read these I would be annoyed because this isn't really the kind of stuff that you have to have a degree or two degrees just to blow my own horn in creative writing to understand why this is doesn't work like if you read these you might not know the the words to describe what was putting you off you might not be able to describe it but I honestly think that anyone who read this series and read this book after reading the previous ones would be equally as frustrated as I am right now and that's what really gets me because if I feel like it's just me who doesn't like a book then that's just a, like my opinion that's fine well, not fine, but like that's the experience I had with it. 
maybe I can see how other people can enjoy that specific kind of book even if I don't these I just struggle with because I'm like who is enjoying these I mean you could say the same kind of teens who like liked Twilight and things like that but and I never wanted to say this but at least Twilight was kind of consistent and there were only like four books of that this is 15 books and at least I remember being when I read the first book of that which was I was like older than I should have been when I read that but well, I digress reading like Twilight the first book there's at least some surprising plot elements in there that you don't guess straight away and these are just I don't know if they're trying to fail at subterfuge but it's just not happening I don't get it uh, this was book nine so I still have six books left to go in the series I've just ordered the last three hopefully they're now winging their way to me and should the good weather hold by the time I finish the series hopefully in the next week I will at least have a good tan but aside from that I mean there is something kind of vaguely kind of schlocky and teen dramery about it that I do find entertaining but then I get to the end of the book and then it frustrates me horribly so it's sort of like when you're a, it's sort of like that kind of kid thing when you're like I'm gonna eat this whole bag of Haribo because ooh, exciting colours and drama and stuff going on and then at the end you just feel sick so that's going to be my last word on my experience of reading this book and uh, I will let you know how I get on with the upcoming ones do let me know if you have any other like Wicca-esque or witchy teen series because I am looking to fill a hole in my reading schedule uh, so you can recommend those to me in the usual way by twitter or email uh, you can also donate to the patreon if you feel so inclined so that I can buy some other books or maybe some blood pressure medication at this point I don't know um <laughs> and please do enjoy the full backlog of episodes on Castbox and YouTube and if you head on over to YouTube if you're not there already listening to my voice then uh, you will find some other videos and things that I've done which are not strictly speaking the podcast but are still witch related even if it is tangentially and in the meantime I'll see you in the next one bye <laughs>